Today on the Topping Show, Bud Light goes flat, losing $4 billion in market cap value, also a 70% decrease in some of their sales, YouTube NFL Sunday package debuts, Walmart to close four of their eight remaining stores in Chicago, Twitter has a new owner, Amazon ends their free UPS pickups, TikTok's owner hits $25 billion in profits, Super Mario Movie continues to break cinematic records, Democrats and Republicans choose their convention sites, and Whole Foods decides to close their San Francisco site. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added resource and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. If you're a business owner or an IT leader and can use some assistance, you can reach them at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, jumping into the business part of the podcast, Bud Light continues to fizzle out. Now, they have a continued media blackout nearing two weeks now without a peep, which in terms of social media is basically a lifetime. You do have some celebrities that are starting to stick up for the brand. Now, for those who have not heard the phenomenon, Bud Light historically chose Dylan Mulvaney. I've heard that name so many times, it's been bashing inside my head in terms of I should have be able to pronounce his name, one would think. However, he is a very viral, very well-known trans activist on TikTok with over 10 million followers. He's winning millions of dollars in endorsements from major brands, everyone from Nike, Bud Light now. Uh, I believe the brand Tampax also sponsored Dylan as well. Pretty much every major business is throwing money at Dylan because he has a lot of, there's a lot of eyes on him. Everyone is focusing on it and these brands are gonna make money off of it in theory. Now, Bud Light gave Dylan a can commemorating Dylan's 365 days of celebrating womanhood, which is Dylan's TikTok and social media historical videos on Dylan's journey. Now, you have Howard Stern that's speaking up for him now. This alienated a lot of the current incumbent Bud Light users. And it's starting to actually hit sales now, which is usually when companies start to pay attention to negative advertising campaigns, it's debatable. It's, time shall tell if this was a purely advertising business decision or more of a altruistic social justice decision by Anheuser-Busch. Now, several, several bars are noting a 30 to 50% decrease in sales. Historically, Bud Light outsells Miller Light and Coors Light with a ratio of 25 to 1 at a particular bar called the Braintree Brewhouse in Massachusetts. So imagine that ratio, 25 to 1, is an astonishing sales success model. If you're selling 25 to 1 compared to your competition, that's unprecedented success. Now, that same bar this past week, they said 80% of the Bud Light users who used to order Bud Light ordered something else, while the 20% who did order Bud Light noted that they were not aware of the social, they were not on social media and haven't heard of the whole Dylan Mulvaney sponsorship partnership, which makes sense to think of who drinks. There's a fair amount of the market who drinks Bud Light who's not on social media, old souls or people are a little bit older who aren't addicted to their phone screens. It's just more likely a not positive thing. Now, another interesting these bars and these examples, they're just going to keep coming forward. And it'll be interesting to see if it's a long-term trend or a short-term. What is Bud Light going to do to turn this around? Now, a pub in Hell's Kitchen, New York, reported that 
Bud Life draft sales are down, dropped 58%, and Bud Light draft or, um, bottle sales are down by 70%. Now, this next example is perhaps the most astonishing one. Now, a Bud Light sales rep in Texas noted that they historically sponsored a weekly weekly darts event. So they had a league where you have about 100 participants each Thursday. And he used to sell about, four, the bar used to sell about four kegs, which is a fair amount of booze. And he said he only sold four of the 12-ounce bottles. So instead of selling the regular four kegs of beer, they're selling four 12-ounce bottles, which in terms of a sales volume is basically nothing. It's not even a rounding error for the parent company. And even for the bar, how much profit are they going to make? You got four beers, if you make a dollar per beer, that's $4 maybe. I mean, I don't know the margins on an alcohol at this establishment, but they're having a lot of inventory just sit there getting stale. They're going to have to try to find something else. And the parent company, they're going to start noticing these things pretty soon. If you look at the business model historically of a lot of the alcohol and beverage companies, it's similar to the automotive companies where if General Motors will make the Corvette, they won't sell it directly to you. They'll sell it to a distributor or they'll sell it to a dealer and the dealer will sell it. So these parent companies, they get paid right off the bat. So they get paid immediately. So that's why like historically, a lot of like automotive companies, Q4, they'll sell a lot of their cars to like fleets or leasing companies to boost up the Q4 numbers. And those companies, those dealerships, sometimes they'll do a handshake agreement where they'll do a big sale Q4, discount it, so that GM can record the sales in their books even though the end user doesn't maybe purchase it till January, but it still makes the publicly traded companies look great because it boosts their sales numbers. And you have a similar situation where I can't just go to Bud Light and buy beer off their website unless they change the laws or distribution method models. But traditionally, they have the beer, they sell it to a distribution chain, they sell it to a brick and mortar store, and they sell it to you. So it's a ripple effect. And as more and more of these bars start to decrease those sales numbers, the parent company they already know the social media snafu. There's a lot of controversy around this whole issue. People are divided on it left and right. Oddly enough, it goes right into the politics, which if you make a beverage, I don't know why. I, I don't I don't see the astronomical upside to the situation of inserting your product into politics, especially when you look at something where it's a universal thing. Anyone could drink beer. I would say anyone could drink Bud Light, but I think most people have taste buds, so it might not be prudent. Although maybe they changed in the past 15 years. I think that was the last time I had a Bud Light. Nevertheless, if you make a universal product that can be used by anyone and everyone, why not have more of a inclusive message where you don't bring up politics or you bring up a message that everyone could agree on, like the United States is great or some, or we believe in patriotism or just a, a bottle of beer next to the American flag, something that, well, unfortunately, maybe might not be a good example these days since some Americans don't believe in those things. Nevertheless, Unifying messages, not ones that bifurcate and pull apart the fan base and especially really pissing off your current incumbent users. So I'll be interested to see how this progresses. Now, for positive business news, YouTube NFL Sunday package is launching. Fans could be paying as much as much as $489 for the season, which is 10 times more than I would pay unless I owned a football team. I, it's one of those weird things where sports are fascinating, but I'm more interested in the business aspect of it than who can catch the big pigskin. Although, they don't even make the pigskin. It's not even a pigskin anymore. It's artificial. Nevertheless, now the cost breakdown will be about 
$349 for people who are already YouTube TV subscribers, so all 13 of them presumably, and $449 for those not already subscribers, and there's going to be some promos, of course, so, you know, 5% off or whatever like that, like most marketing campaigns do. Now, Google acquired the rights to stream the NFL Sunday games for about $2 billion, which is a brilliant business move on Google's part because all the diehard football fans are going to either buy... They're going to buy this or going to go to a bar, probably not to drink Bud Light, but because the bars have, they'll have, I guess, YouTube TV on their screens. But this gives people a compelling reason to sign up to your service in which I talked about with the competitors talking about Disney Plus versus Netflix and, and Peacock and all these streaming platforms. It's all about how much exclusive content can you have on your platform, either create it internally or get a licensing agreement. I think Netflix paid $100 million just to have a one-year license agreement with the producers of Friends because that was such a viral, social, really an outlier in media and TV production where a lot of eyes are glued to the screen and it's very popular. So Netflix is paying that much knowing that people are going to pay for Netflix to get to that one product in particular. Now, Google doing this will help bolster their YouTube TV fan base for sure. Now, going back to 2022, the Sun NFL Sunday ticket passes were sold and distributed exclusively, either exclusively or solely, I need to double check that, through Direct TV, with their cost to consumer being up to $395.99, which is another fascinating thing about advertising. It sounds stupid, but it works. When you mark something to $0.99, cents, the human psychology is fascinating. They'll If it's $4.99, they don't think it's $5.07 or $5.08. They think it's $4. I think it's 508 or 509 because I think of sales tax, which most of us have to pay for. So that's usually between 8.25%, depending on where you're living, all, all that kind of thing. But yeah, this actually might give people more and more compelling reason to go to that platform. So smart business move on Google as well. Now, other interesting business moves, talk about a loss leader. Now, Walmart is closing four of the eight remaining Chicago stores, and this is a very, I was astonished they bled in terms of they lost money for this long. Now, this is a statement from a Walmart representative. They say, quote, the simplest explanation is that collectively our Chicago stores have not been profitable since we opened them, the first one, nearly 17 years ago. So you didn't make a profit for 17 years, which also shows you they could afford to lose money in terms of, you have some stores that make up for it. Where they have to, but imagine losing money for 17 years. That is a unprecedented amount of fiscal loss. And the only, the only upside you could argue would be the brand. It gets brand loyalty and people maybe, well, inevitably they move out of Chicago and then they'll continue to shop there. That's the only logical explanation I could think of similar how like, People used to buy the Chevy Cruze. I think they still make it, but fiscally, it was a loss leader in many instances. I remember when I was in the car industry, I think the average gross margin was negative $495 when the dealership would sell it if they sold it at um, MSRP. The only way they made money is they actually had to have financing, accessories, what have you. And you would hope and cross your fingers that someday they come in and buy a Chevy Suburban or a truck, which has a, lot of gr a gross amount of gross. It has a lot of profit built in because people perceive the value and the material is greater than the actual cost of that particular platform and vehicle. Now, I don't know if that's what maybe Walmart was thinking here. And another rep 
Another quote is, again, Walmart representative directly quoting, these stores lose tens of millions of dollars a year. And the annual loss is nearly doubled in the last five years. Now, what could possibly have changed in the past five years with Chicago? Hmm. That's a tough one. I mean, there's no obvious answers. Or is there? Well, yes, there is. Policies, businesses. It's not a conducive place to start a business or keep a business there. One of the most famous companies, historically, Boeing. One of the most successful aerospace defense contractors, manufacturers in history. They left the city of Chicago. I believe their headquarters is now in Seattle or one of the actual sites where they manufacture some of their planes. But they lost that corporate site. McDonald's somehow is still there for now. But as of this week, they're doing all the remote layoffs. If I was McDonald's, I would think this costs a lot of... Just think of the taxes alone you're paying every year. You also have to worry about employee safety because downtown Chicago is by no means safe by any metric. I, that is an undeniable fact. I don't care who's in charge or what's happening. That's Or I should say, we know what's happening. But like I know a lot of people, especially the reasons they're moving out of Chicago, is safety. Safety, taxes. Two things. If you fix those things, the city will prosper. Businesses will move back. I don't think that's going to happen, though. Now, perhaps I should be more optimistic, but historically, they have not yet done that. Now, the article... An article in Bloomberg, so I read a couple different sites, as you all should always check out different sources, get different perspectives. Now, there was an article in Bloomberg that said that Walmart has 23 stores in Chicago. Nevertheless, look into it. If you actually click those interactive maps, they're counting Chicago suburbs, which are infinitely different. So perhaps it is in Cook County, which is the county which encapsulates Chicago and many of the suburbs, but... Vic of the store locations actually closing, they're all in great proximity to the actual city. Which is ironic if you ever ask someone where they're from, they'll always say Chicago, because no one knows the suburbs' names. Nevertheless, people should know Oak Brook. McDonald's was founded in Oak Brook, and it, for historically is a very prosperous, well community. How do people not even know that? Nevertheless, that's one of the, one of the suburbs. Now, going on to other interesting businesses, Twitter now has a new owner. Kind of. Technically, yes. Now, Court documents revealed that a new shell company called X Corp is now the owner of Twitter, which, spoiler alert, Elon obviously owns it. Now, Elon tweeted an X on Tuesday, which caused a lot of people to speculate. One of my favorite books on the shelf. Where is it? Oh, yeah. There we go. I don't know if you can read. Eh, maybe. So, one of my favorite books is Elon's, not an autobiography, but Ashley Vance. He interviewed Elon uh, quite some time ago. And the book, you talk about all his fun historicals and where he came from. And one of his first businesses was X.com, which was brilliant. It was basically online banking before people even thought of online banking. So brilliant idea. He owned X.com and through mergers and acquisitions, he actually lost power as a CEO. Historically, it was eventually became PayPal. And PayPal, some say he, they did him right in the end. So they let Elon buy X.com back in 2017 so he can get his domain back. And that was, there's estimates, conservative estimates that cost $10 million. And I tend to believe that because domains are one of the most fascinating things that cost an exponential amount of money. Every time you get the domain shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter, it's going to cost more and more and more because, of course, just mathematically, there's less and less of those available. 
and a lot of businesses go bankrupt buying the shortest domains. Elon obviously won't, but just because people think of the allure, and thanks to apps these days, I think that's diminished the importance a little bit just because a lot of people aren't going to type in all the URL like they may have historically. You also have search engines like Brave, Google, and so it's maybe less of important, but it's still a prestigious thing in and of itself. And for the longest time, one of Elon's favorite business concepts is to have one app to rule them all, where it could be one app quite literally to do everything from your social media to your banking, finances, maybe even stock investments, maps, hopefully. It'd be nice to have a true competitor to Google Maps. Unfortunately, they bought Waze a ways ago, pun moderately intended. But it'll be interesting to see if he could truly make that happen to have one app to rule them all. That may be a possibility, and given his resources and his track record, it's conceivable. Now, of course, let's hopefully he makes Twitter profitable first. He's getting there, but it'll be interesting to see you know, what's that date where he could say, we finally made a penny profit. Because they're trying to stop the bleeding more and more and more, so they'll get there hopefully eventually. Now, Amazon is saying they're going to end the free UPS returns, which makes sense. Now, clients who live in a greater proximity to Whole Foods, Amazon Fresh, or Kohl's, and they choose to not use those locations and use a UPS, it'll charge them $1 if they go back to the UPS store, which makes sense. Remember, there's no such thing as free. It co Everything costs something, with the exception of some benefits people get for nothing, nevertheless. But in the real world, everything has a cost associated to it. And Amazon, like every other tech company, like every company right now, they're trying to tighten their belt and try to figure out how can we stop the bleeding? How can we decrease our expenses? And every time you ship something, that's a lot of money, especially if you're not doing it yourself. So Amazon is building out their own infrastructure. They have their own massive jets. They have their own trucks, obviously. So that helps them decrease the cost per unit because they're controlling that supply, they're controlling the whole infrastructure. By using a third party like UPS, those costs go up and up and up. So I'm not too surprised. It's also great news for Kohl's because it gives people yet another reason to go into a Kohl's, which I really don't buy clothing. I usually buy clothing every seven years or so, but regular people, they probably buy go clothes by once a year or something like that, but it gives you a reason to go there in addition to, I mean, Kohl's is just hoping you buy stuff when you're there, which is similar to a lot of store methodologies and it does work. It'll be interesting to see how this keeps going. Now, I did, in my excitement over the news yesterday, I forgot to report the actual details of TikTok's owner. So today we'll dive into that deeper. So TikTok's parent company is called ByteDance Byte over in China. And they hit $25 billion in profit, which is astonishingly successful. Though not too all surprising since their app is more addictive than some narcotics, it seems. Some people, I, I swear I see some people just spending their whole life staring at a, that little screen. And it's that one highly addictive app. Which from a scientific perspective and marketing perspective is quite fascinating how certain content you can tweak it every which way and they can track your eye movement just make it as appealing as possible as personal as personal as possible for you whether or not that's a good thing is well i would say no unless you're in china where china uses it as a tool as a tool to actually make their kids smarter because it shows them that it's cool to be a scientist it's cool to be a mathematician it's cool to be an aerospace engineer it's great to love your country those are the messages they're giving them that is by no means is actually the inverse when it comes to the United States experience. Now in 2020, back uh, going back a couple of years, now 
They were able to increase their bottom line by nearly 80% when compared to their 2021 $14 billion in profit. Now, in 2022, ByteDance was valued at, the company is valued at $300 billion, making it the most valuable privately owned company. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's in China, so it's owned by the government too. Let's let's not let's not be that opaque, or let's not let's not pretend like that's not a real thing. And it'll be interesting to see. So the revenue hit twenty or eighty-five billion dollars last last year, and you compare that to Facebook. Facebook's two thousand twenty-two net net profit was twenty-three point one billion dollars. So TikTok made twenty-five billion in profit. Facebook made twenty-three billion in profit which is all the more reason for Mark Zuckerberg to keep experimenting with meta and all these other crazy ideas because throw enough spaghetti at the wall, something will stick, as maybe an Italian philosopher might say. I'm not sure. Tell me if I'm wrong in the comments. But the Facebook business model has been proven successful for many years, but he's getting eclipsed by these other technologies. And he needs to make up that distance and then surpass them somehow, either through an acquisition or internal development. And there's, a, there's also more and more pressure by U.S. politicians for TikTok to be sold to an American entity or to be U.S.-based. Considering they're printing money, basically, I don't think BitDance or ByteDance in China is going to allow them to spin off. And it's also a tool for their countries. It's not just about the profits, though it is highly profitable. Now, going on to the Culture Pilot podcast, the Super Mario Brothers movie is continuing to break records. The recent movie ad- ad- video game adaptation hit a global box office revenue of $377 million, which makes it the biggest opening in 2023. It's also the second biggest three-day domestic box office opening after Finding Dory. It is quite literally the best grossing video game adaptation of a movie of all time, which is astonishing. They actually surpassed the previous record held by Warcraft, which came in at $210 million. And then... I don't know if this is a video game or just animated, but they say it surpassed Frozen 2, which made $358 billion, which, God, I had no idea that movie was so ridiculously successful. $358 million? Wow, that's astonishing. So, one of the biggest, most successful movies out there, which of course means there's going to be some people who have a disdain, because it's not to their liking. Now, you have mediocre actor, I mean actor uh, John Leguizamo, who says, he says Super Mario is actually racist, but not for the reason some might think. Now, he this is the most ironic and or hypocritical position I've heard, which is saying something, because society is fascinating these days. Now, John is complaining that the, the Mario player, or the Mario character was played by a non-Italian. Now, John Leguizamos is Hispanic, although he also calls himself He's, he's one of those folks who uses the Latinx term, which is ridiculous. It's made up by someone in the United States with too much time on their hands. No one in the Latin community came up with that term. Nevertheless, now, he was famously in the movie in 1993. It was a box office flop of the real-life adaptation of the video game Super Mario. So he was Hispanic, and he played Luigi, which is hilarious because he wasn't good enough to play Mario. Historically, he's a supporting role, which there are some exceptional actors who do that. Many, just not him. But nevertheless, when people asked his comment, he said, quote, when he gave us his comment, 
in which he's debatable, or sorry, he gave us this comment, just debatable who asked for it, but someone actually did ask for it. Now his quote is, no one will be watching, they will be, they could have included a Latin character, like I was groundbreaking, and then they just stopped being groundbreaking. They messed up the inclusion, they disincluded, just cast some Latin, just cast some Latin folks. We're 20% of the population, the largest group of the color group, and we are underrepresented. So that, that's his take on the whole situation, which is interestingly, hilariously hypocritical from him. Ignoring the fact that there are a lot of other exceptional movies with Latin stars and that highlight Latin culture. But a movie about an Italian plumber, he's not happy. Fascinating. The most hypocritical, ironic thing I've heard in a while. Now, going into the politics part of the podcast... Democrats and Republicans have chosen their convention sites, which might be the most boring thing you could possibly attend unless you're a political analyst. Nevertheless, it might be interesting. Now, the Democrats have chosen Chicago for the 2024 Democratic National Convention, also known as the DNC. That's going to take place August 19th to August 22nd, 2024. And this makes sense in terms of they'll invigorate their fan base. I mean, his, if you look at the history of Chicago, they've been run by Democrat, Democrats for 90 years. And in the recent mayoral election, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who was a Democrat, she wasn't replaced or ousted by a Republican. She was surpassed or supplanted by Brandon Johnson. He is also a Democrat. And Illinois has not voted for a Republican president since 1988. 1988. They haven't voted for, they haven't gone red once. They're not starting now. Yeah, like if you were to the Las Vegas odds for Illinois to go Republican has to be a thousand to one. Granted, no one ever placed that bet unless you're a gambling addict because the odds are so infinitesimal. And it is fascinating. Look at the county by county map. There are a lot of parts that in Illinois that are red, but it's particularly the city of Chicago that really swings the state. If you look at the actual fascinating infographics now, Trump is right now the forerunner, the forerunner for the Republican side. He shouldn't spend a New York minute in Illinois in terms of political strategy because there's no way they're going to win. Now, this is also going to cost Chicago quite a lot in terms of setting up the convention, securing the convention. Maybe in the murder, there have been many articles noting the high murder rate for 11 years in a row. Now, interestingly enough, a news outlet, Politico, which is a great I look at all the sources, they're obviously politically oriented, a little bit left, but they have a lot of good opinions there as well. And they noted that Biden himself was involved in the decision to choose Chicago for the convention, along with the DNC committee chair, Jamie Harrison. And it is also known that the Chicago Teachers Union, and there's a lot of folks there who are extremely supportive of the Democratic Party and their fundraising. And it's one of those interesting strategies. Do you pay loyalty and or invigorate your base of current supporters or you take a risk and go somewhere like a swing state where you can maybe persuade some independent voters or people who didn't vote for you before so i debate politically speaking i think it's a moot idea why go to illinois you don't have to try to biden does not have to try at all they will vote for him in illinois it's a secure state it's historically they're going to win it without trying Maybe they're trying to re 
reinvigorate their fan base there, but they don't have to. So it's interesting to see them. Now, Republicans chose their conference center, or their conference is rather going to be held in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, July 15th to 18th, 2024. So, I mean, great news if someone wants to go to both. I mean, maybe two people do that. Maybe one or two investigative reporters. That'd be actually fun to see the contrast between the two and how much they've changed over the years. Now, now in terms of a political chess move, I think this is much more of a prudent, intelligent decision in terms of, historically, Wisconsin's gone many both ways. It's more of a purple state. And, I mean, Trump won Wisconsin in 2016, but then, of course, lost it in 2020. So for Republicans to actually focus on that state in terms of a chess strategy or political strategy, I think that's good because they need to win those states they lost. And they need to somehow convince those people they're better off voting for Trump than the incumbent. And historically, Trump, uh, he definitely skewed historical figures or historical trends. Historically, it is extremely prohibitively difficult to disrupt an incumbent solution or an incumbent president or whatever, your mayor. Even if you're selling cars or technology, the thing that's already there is usually going to stay there. You need an overwhelming, compelling reason to disrupt that or to remove it with a new solution or a new candidate or a new elected official. So that makes it all the more difficult for Trump this year because Biden is the incumbent. He's already president. The people who voted for him are most likely going to vote for him again. So if the Republicans have any hope, they're going to have to try to keep focusing on the middle and the independents and the three people who might be undecided because how much more data do you need? There might be some more as more investigations go on to both sides, but it'll be interesting to see how many people are still on the fence and interesting decisions. So maybe Democrats will get a couple more, they'll get more votes out in Illinois by doing that. And of course, they're going to campaign all around the U.S., but it's interesting to see they chose that. It's also, going back to Chicago for New York minute here, it's also the complete package in terms of the policies and philosophies of, that Democrats want to push at a nationwide level. They want to replicate the ones that are already in Chicago. So from that, some philosophical perspective, that might make sense. They want to replicate a lot of those things. And maybe that's why they're doing it. They want to copy paste. And I mean, interesting to see how that plays out. Now, going on to the business blunder of the week, Whole Foods is having their flagship San Francisco store closing. And when you think of flagship stores, it's supposed to be the pinnacle of the retail experience is where you also experiment with new sales techniques, new displays. It's supposed to be a very unique premium experience that represents the really the best the brand can be and where the brand is going. So it's a very important advertising mechanism for the business. Now, they're closing this just after one year and they cited worker safety. And I checked multiple articles. This isn't just Fox News or one or Breitbart or something on the right saying this. This was from CNN Business. Even they're admitting safety is the key issue. Now, they opened the store in March of 2020, and a local San Francisco's news article or outlet, they noted that the location was previously reducing their hours last year because of theft, and it changed its bathroom policies to employees only because in the bathrooms they found syringes and pipes which biohazards are never a good thing in the workplace especially when you consider the things in those syringes are not more likely than not they're not legal substances or conducive to cognitive 
mental well make well decision making experiences. Now, between between 2020 and 2022, San Francisco saw a 23% increase in property crimes, with the spikes being in burglary and theft as the top of the actual breakdown of those crimes. Now, this is according to the San Francisco Police Database. And perhaps maybe business blunder of the day isn't them closing the store at San Francisco in and of itself. Because Whole Foods is a very, very San Francisco personality friendly company. They have a lot of the same values. They are a lot of the same cities. It's one of those things where they should be, you know, fingers crossed side by side. They make sense together, but for them to close this store kind of shows the continued direction of the city needing some assistance and turning around the trend of increased crime and more and more businesses have to close because of their employee safety as well as the customer safety and the customer experience. Nevertheless, that is has to be the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for tuning in today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. Also, if you have any suggestions, if you put in the comment section, I'll read it. Greatly appreciate it. And don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell everyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.